Jesus' name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're awesome in all that you do. And Father, we just thank you. Thank you for the opportunities that come before us. We thank you, Lord, for those God moments where just one word changes everything. And Lord, even this morning, we pray that even as I share what what you are speaking to us about, that maybe even just one word changes something in our life. One thought, Lord, just turns us that little bit closer to you, a little bit closer to the purposes that you have for us. So, Lord, we, we submit ourselves to you this morning. Holy Spirit, speak through me as we just look at uh, this, uh, this feast and just give, all you, give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Who's ready? All right, I'll preach to you, my darling. Anyone else ready? Yeah? Hallelujah. All right. Well, we're continuing on our, um, our journey, looking at the feasts of the Lord that we find in Leviticus 23. Last week, we, we looked at the first one, the Feast of Passover. Okay, and this week, we're going to look at how Jesus fulfilled the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Uh, last week, we looked at how Jesus fulfilled all the requirements of the Passover lamb in Egypt, and that the night before the Exodus, a lamb was sacrificed, the blood was taken, and it was painted around the doors, okay? And every house that had the blood on its doors, when death came through Egypt, they were passed over and they were all spared and they were all lived, okay? And so we saw how Jesus' blood applied to our life does the same thing. We, and if you missed last week's sermon, you'll find it um, on our Facebook page and uh, you can listen to it. Now, when we looked at Passover, we also saw that in Passover, we find this word redemption, okay? Redemption. Say it with me. Redemption. Say it better. Redemption, okay? Redemption. The blood of Jesus has redeemed us, amen? It has redeemed us. It has brought us from death into life. To redeem is to, to gain something back, to recover ownership by paying a specified sum of money. Or specified some. So if redemption was foreshadowed in the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread speaks to us about our sanctification. Okay, so say that with me, sanctification. It's a big word, but it basically means that we are set apart. Okay, so redeemed means we have been brought back. Jesus brought us back. Sanctification means we have been set apart to worship Him and to serve His purposes. You even look at the story in Exodus. You look at Israel. They were saved from death, but they still remained in Egypt. You see, death came through that night, but in the morning they were still there. They were still in slavery because they were still living in Egypt under Pharaoh's rule. That's why God had to physically remove them out of Egypt. While they remained in Egypt, they were still bonded to their current situation. They were still there under Pharaoh's rule. They were a slave to him who was a false god. And they were not free to worship God. You know, eight times in the book of Exodus, we are told that Pharaoh, Moses went to Pharaoh and said, 
let God's people go so they might worship him in the desert. Let God's people go. Eight times Pharaoh was told so that they could worship him in the desert. Romans 6, 16 says this, Do you not know that if you continually surrender yourselves to anyone to do his will, you are the slaves of him whom you obey, whether that be to sin which leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness, that is right doing and right standing with God. But thank God, though you were once slaves to sin, you have become obedient with all your heart to the standard of teaching in which you were instructed and to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become the servants of righteousness, of conformity to the divine will in thought, purpose, and action. In thought, and in purpose, and in action. God has taken you out of darkness and all that the purposes that were found in there all the mistruths all the lies all the deceit he has taken you out of there and he has brought you into light and he's brought you into the plans and the purposes that he has for you once you turn to the person next to you and say god has a plan and a purpose for you So if God has a plan and a purpose for me, then I reckon I should try and know what it is. I should try and understand what those plan and pur- that plan and purpose is. Otherwise, I'm not pursuing his plan and purpose. I'm pursuing my own purpose, my own thoughts. Is that right? If we remain ignorant of God's purpose for us in our life, then we remain faithful to our own purposes and our own plans. As we see in this study, it's not enough to just be exempt from death. We've actually got to be brought out, removed from the kingdom of darkness and brought into God's kingdom so that we can worship our God in spirit and in truth, just as John 4.23 tells us. And so this brings us to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's the second feast that God establishes in Leviticus, and it runs hot on the heels of the first. In fact, it starts the very next day after Passover. Leviticus 23.6. If you've got your Bibles, you can find it there. If not, I have it on the screen, so follow along. On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's Feast of Unleavened Bread begins. For seven days you must eat bread without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. For seven days, present an offering made to the Lord by fire. And on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. God was into days off. I like God. Eh? He would have been a great union leader. (laughs) Praise God. Passover was on the 14th day of Nisan. The Feast of Unleavened Bread began on the 15th day. 
It was a week-long celebration. It was to remember that there was a time when God brought the whole nation of Israel out of Egypt and they were set free. Could you imagine that, guys? Just take a moment. Put yourself in that situation. Um, I could never imagine what it'd be like to be held prisoner, to be held as a slave against your will. It still happens these days. Slavery is alive and well. You got the sex uh, sex trade slavery. You got, um, you know, in third world countries, people who are uh, enslaved to uh, labour. Even here in this great country of Australia, people are held in slavery. Imagine the day that you're actually released from that, never to fear that again. What exhilaration that must that be? I don't know if anyone here has ever been in that situation. But just to know that you've been set free. This is what they were celebrating in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's first mentioned in Exodus 12 where God speaks to Moses in relation to what he expected and for them to do. So Exodus 12:17 says, Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread because it was on this very day that I brought you your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month you are to eat bread made without yeast, from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses. And whoever eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from your community of Israel, whether he is an alien or native born. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. So guys, no donuts for seven days. Okay? Not only were they not to eat bread without yeast, there was even not to be found a skerret, a crumb of yeast in their, in their houses. And I want to just point out a few things we find and link it to our Lord Jesus Christ. But the first point I want to look at is that this feast lasted for one week, seven days. All right? Now, when you look it in a historical context of when the Israelites walked out of Egypt and were on their journey to the promised land. It's historically accepted that it was actually seven days from the day they walked out until the day they reached the other side of the Red Sea. Okay. On that day, on the eastern shores of the Red Sea, God had come good on his promise to deliver them from their captives just as he promised in exodus 6 6 where he said i will free you from their bondage now i'm not looking to make any point of doctrine on this but it's just an interesting fact that in this seven day journey there was actually no rest for them they were always being pursued by the egyptians there came a time where they felt such dread that they almost just froze because they saw the Egyptian army looming behind them and closely. They thought they had met their doom. 
But when they saw the, Israel, the Egyptians dead at their feet, after the waters of the Red Sea closed back in, they knew that they had found their rest. But you know, rest for us is not found in a certain day. It's not found in a, in a particular action that we do. But according to Hebrews 4.9, it says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. You see, there is a rest that we find in God. The Israelites were burdened with slavery. It weighed heavy upon their heart. But when they came into that rest on the eastern shores of the Red Sea, they knew they had entered into something new and fresh. Where do we find that rest? Well, Matthew eleven twenty eight gives us a pointer. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, what will he give us? Rest. He will give us rest. It's not that we're going to chuck our jobs in. It's not that we're going to all of a sudden just sit around all day and sip lattes and eat cookies. But there is a rest that comes upon our heart. There is a burden that is taken away from us that we know that we are in now in communion with God and we have found favor in Him and we rest from that just that burden of trying to, God, am I, are you pleased with me? God, am I doing enough? God, am I saved? God, you know, we enter into that rest when we come to Jesus Christ. God found rest on the seventh day. The Israelites found rest from their pursuers on pursuers on the seventh day when you look at the number seven in a biblical um, context it always represents completeness and perfection and who knows that in god our rest is complete and perfect yes yes it is we do not add anything to it because if we add anything to it then it does not become perfect anymore and so just know my friends that we can draw from this that when we enter into God's rest, we enter into His completeness and His perfection in full knowledge that we've been delivered from our enemy. Amen. Woo! Yeah! Praise the Lord. I thought that was something to get excited about, but anyway, let's move right along. Second thing is that they were only to eat bread made without leaven. Okay, the Hebrew word is hametz. On a practical level, we read in the account of Exodus that the Israelites didn't have time to prepare the bread. And so they walked out of Egypt and there was no yeast in their bread. Exodus 12.39 tells us they only had time to gather their possessions and their livestock as their departure 
was to be hasty. It says, With the dough they had brought from Egypt, they baked cakes of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. On a spiritual level, leaven, which is usually yeast or baking powder, means sour. Now, do we have any bakers in the, in the congregation? Any bakers? Okay, I speak with authority then. When it says that yeast actually begins a fermentation process. And this fermentation process actually begins to break down the sugars in the dough. And when you break down the sugars, you're actually souring the bread. And so, you know, sour bread is actually bread that's been left longer, a day or two longer as dough before they bake it. And the fermentation continues to work on the sugar in that, in that dough and break it down. It's literally the beginning of a decaying process. As the yeast begins to decay the sugars in that dough. Who knows that the Bible likens leaven to sin most of the time. And it's well suited because leaven rapidly permeates the dough. It contaminates it. It sours it. It breaks down the sugars. And get this. It causes it to swell without changing its weight. Now just have a think about that for a minute. And think about what sin does to a person. Sin permeates the whole person. Sin contaminates us. It sours us. We're not as sweet anymore. But it also causes us to puff up. To puff up with pride. Anyway, think about that one for a while. Yet we're here today, not just to look at the feast as it was, but also to find Jesus in the feast. You see, the feast itself was merely a shadow of the reality who is Jesus Christ. And so let's look at a few things right here now. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is a reminder to us, as Pastor Steve shared in communion this morning, that Jesus is the bread of life. Without sin, just as unleavened bread was without yeast, Jesus was without sin, just as 1 John 3, 5 says, In Him is no sin. In Jesus, there was no sin. All right? We can speak a lot on this, but we'll just keep moving through for the sake of time. The second point is that Jesus' mission was to reconcile us to the Father. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Who knows what reconciliation means? It means to bring two parties together. Two parties that were at odds with each other, they get brought together and things get worked out. And this is what Jesus has done for us. We were once enemies with God, not because God 
did anything, but because we alienated ourselves from him through the sin of Adam, all of mankind was affected. But Jesus came and he brought the two parties together and we have become one with him. This is why Jesus came. He reconciled the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them, and he has committed us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore God's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin, who was that? Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him, who's that? Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. You see, it, it all revolves around Jesus, doesn't it? It's all around him. Jesus as a Passover lamb saved us from the penalty of sin. But just as the Israelites needed to get out of Egypt to escape being enslaved once again by Pharaoh, Jesus set us free from the yoke of slavery to sin. You see, sin is no longer part of your new nature. And you might say to yourself, well, why do I sin? Well, let me be blunt, because you want to. All right, we'll let that one soak in for a little while. But it's true. See, if you're reconciled to God and your new nature contains no sin, then you only sin by choice. And you, th and you might think, well, I can't help myself. Well, that might be true in your thinking, but in God's nature, you actually, Jesus is there to help you. Again, that's probably another message. But just think to yourself what that means for you. He not only saved us from death, which is the wages of sin, but he removed us from the power of sin by taking it from the cross into the grave. Just as Paul says in Romans 6, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Say it with me. By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. That's a lot to take in. But it basically says this. If we believe that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sin, and we believe that, don't we? The blood has washed us clean. We sing about it. We also believe that Jesus has removed us from sin itself. He has taken it away. We have been removed out of it. It is buried in the grave. S 
sin is not a geographical place which we escape from. It is a spiritual condition that we find ourselves freed because of what Jesus has done. You see, the enemies of the Israelites were buried in the waters of the Red Sea. The enemy of us, that is all sin, everything that stood opposed to us, was buried in the grave when they took Jesus down from the cross and put him in there. You know, Jesus went into the grave marred beyond recognition because of the sin of the world. So not only did he have the physical um, you know, wounds, not only was he physically torn apart from the whipping and the scourging, but can you imagine the weight of the sin of the world upon him? This is how Jesus was buried. But you know, he didn't stay like that, amen? We know that he rose again to life. Praise the Lord. We also see the fulfillment of prophecy concerning the Messiah relating to this feast. Firstly, since yeast contaminates the dough and kickstarts the decaying process, we see that although Jesus was made sin for our sake, he was the innocent and sinless sacrifice and would not suffer decay in the grave because in Psalm 16, 20, uh, 10 it says, You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. And because Jesus was not of the seed of Adam, he was not under the same curse of Adam when God said to him in, in Genesis 3.19, To the dust you shall return. The fourth point is that the Gospel of John tells us in 19.31, and in 42, that Jesus was buried on the day of preparation for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This was a day where God instructed the Israelites to go throughout their homes and get rid of anything that contained leaven. So not only was it a, you know, just in their, their dough, they had to go through the house and their, their property and rid it of leaven. Some actually attribute, who's ever heard of the term spring cleaning? It probably doesn't get done much these days, but in times gone past, spring cleaning was something that was done, obviously, in the spring. The festival of unleavened bread being in the spring, anyway, you can match the two together. But they had to get rid of it. Exodus 13.7 says, Eat only bread without yeast for those seven days. In fact, there must be no yeast in your homes or anywhere within the borders of your land during this time. Pick it all up, every speck, every crumb, and you either burn it or you bury it. God was very clear on this command. Paul is also very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where he says, 
in verse 6, your boasting is no good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be made new, a new batch without yeast. What's he talking about? Sin. As you really are. So he's saying there, as you really are. This is who God has made you to be. People without sin. This is your new nature. Get rid of that old stuff. Get rid of it. He has separated it from you. You see, here's a point that I didn't consider before. When the Israelites were in their promised land, they'd been removed by, by God. Their enemy was dead. But for some strange reason, some of them wanted to go back. Why? Because, I don't know, the garlic and onion tasted better. Now we might laugh at that and think, oh, what a bunch of nignogs. But don't we do the same as well sometimes? We think, oh, I just want to go and do what I used to do. No, God has separated us from that. Christ is our Passover lamb that has been sacrificed. Let, therefore, let us keep the festival, all right? And that's a direct reference back to this festival, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. See, Paul was relating this Feast of Unleavened Bread to the lifestyle of what he expected from the Christians in Corinth. The Feast of Unleavened Bread tells us that though Jesus, through Jesus we have been separated, we have been delivered from sin. Jesus saved us from the penalty of sin through his death and his burial gives us a clear picture of our deliverance from slavery to sin into freedom from sin. Paul, once again, in chapter 6 of Romans says, Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count yourself dead. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. See, this is our part to play. This is our part to play. This becomes our choice. We either submit to it or we reject it. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master. Okay? Just as when the Israelites walked out of Egypt, you could put there for Pharaoh, shall not be your master anymore, because you are not under the rule of Pharaoh, you are not under the law, but you are now under grace. That's a lot to take in, I know. There's many different aspects and points I touched on, them, and a lot of them were just brief. This is why it's good to get along to a group during the week 
so that you can again just talk it over with other people as we look at this this um, this feast throughout the week in our grow groups but in conclusion this morning I just want to throw something out to us and again we touched on it at communion but I think God is trying to say something here to us again and that is to reflect upon our life examine ourselves. there might be areas in your life you're dealing with right now maybe you've done something and you keep getting this this nagging sense this nagging feeling this voice in your head saying god could never forgive you of that that was just man that was just too bad maybe it's part of your life that you continue to to fall to stumble in maybe it's something you're struggling in and and you're not even sure if you're going to be able to beat it. Maybe it's an addiction of some sort. Where it's addiction to, you know, alcohol, drugs, pornography. You see, we're not alone in this. We've been joined into Jesus. He has become our rest. We rest in Him. And with the, when we examine ourselves and we, we understand that, you know what, sometimes we are weak, sometimes our frailty is less than what God expects, we know that we can come to Him and still find complete rest. If you want to go home, we're not going to read it today, but if you want to read the second half of Romans 7 and the first bit of Romans 8, you see Paul is very much in a similar situation. It's almost like he's just spilling his guts when he's writing this and he's just saying, man, there's things that I don't want to do, but I just find myself that I keep doing them and there's things that I want to do, I don't want to do, and yet, he says, I'm going crazy. He makes this statement. What a wretched man am I. And who will save me from my wretchedness? Can you just hear the cry of oh, desperation within him? But then he says, but thank God. Jesus is the one who saves me from my wretchedness. So this morning, as we just finished looking at this Feast of Unleavened Bread, I want you to examine yourself in that area. Take solace in knowing who Jesus is. He is the one who was without sin, yet he became sin for you and for me. What was meant for us was given to Jesus. And Paul finishes, or he starts Romans 8 by saying, Therefore, there is now no condemnation.
for those who are in Christ Jesus. This same truth applies in our life. In our life there is now no condemnation, for we are in Christ Jesus. We have total rest in knowing that this is fully the work of Jesus. So this morning, as I finish off in prayer, put it on the table before God. Just give it to Him. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, burdened. And what's He going to give you? What's He going to give you? What's He going to give you? Rest. Rest. If you need rest, come to Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what can we say? Lord, despite our shortcomings, despite everything, Lord, that we know there are things where we just fall short. But always, Lord, we can turn to you, the perfecter and the completer of our faith, Jesus Christ. In him there was no sin, and yet you made him sin for us so that we could come before you clean and we can stand there right before you. Lord, I don't have the words enough to say anything beyond thank you and that I love you, Lord. And Lord, my life is committed to you and that all that I have is yours because all that you have has become mine. So Lord, thank you for this. I pray over each person even right now who in their heart is just thinking about things in their life. I pray, Lord, encouragement, strength, Holy Spirit, just touch their life right now. Touch their mind. Give them rest in their mind and in their heart, in the full knowledge that your love for them will never fade and will never be turned away. So, Lord, we just commit all things to you, and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.